and the other is probably um, the coronavirus. So right. you now that's got people that are they're, they're wanting to get outside. They're wanting to do something. They've been cooped up, and, and people are also more interested in the hunting side of it just for uh, the stability that having that good source of protein can provide. So those few things are probably also helping to drive those harvest numbers up just a little bit. You know, Aaron, I would also say that, that number three in that number, and, and, and you may have different opinion, Wayne, you may too, but I think the, uh, the introduction and the, uh, and the growing popularity of crossbows probably has a lot to do with that too. Camel boots on my feet, bow in my hand, walking in the early dawn to climb up Hornady presents sand. American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge. I'm the Red Bull Mike Grace. Alex Rutledge is with us, and Wayne Lott joins me in the studio. And um, Alex is out running around. Somebody said something about being in Spain. I think he's getting ready to run with the bulls. <laughs> <laughs> I am in Greencastle, Indiana, with my boss, Tim Rowland. We had to come over here and do a job walk. We have a meeting tomorrow. Today is Wednesday, and we got a meeting tomorrow in Indiana at a, a concrete plant, cement plant. And we had one of the greatest meals this evening at a farm-owned uh, type restaurant, family-owned type restaurant, and they had a big buffet. I eat till I am sick, everybody. So. <laughs> I'm concerned about what it was you ate. Were you, were you eating steak or fried chicken or what? Are you ready? Fried chicken. Yep. Barbecue ribs. Mm. A salad. A piece of banana pie. Mm. And I had a uh, broccoli casserole. And I had a corn casserole. So that's what I had for dinner. Wow. So a light eater. Yeah, light, light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the boss, the boss, the boss must have been paying. Yeah. <laughs> no, I had to pay. For oh mine. no! He he's a tightwad. I hope he's listening. New tightwad, Tim. I'm joking. He's not a tightwad. He buys my dinner sometimes, and I buy his. But everybody, we've got a great sale lined up for you. It's called preparation for rifle hunting. No matter where you're at. Uh, we're going to talk about rifle hunting this segment. We've got bow hunting going on right now across the country. The bucks are starting to get more on their feet. What I'm seeing here in the Ozarks is that the acorns are very spotty. Uh, mm-hmm. Scrapes are becoming more evident. Rubs are becoming more evident. But it appears to me, because of the dry weather that we have had, Redbone Mike, that the rut is a little bit behind. What is your thoughts? Well, yeah, I talked to our friend Tommy Garner uh, Monday, and uh, he has been uh, bow hunting some in North Arkansas, and he said that he has been grunting in deer like crazy. He said the grunting has well, been, they been working. Well, that the sign is not there. I'm saying right. I'm not finding the sign that I normally find this time of year. What are you seeing, Wayne? I, I'm going to agree with you because I just walked our property yesterday. Uh, for about two hours, and I came across only two scrapes, and I have not seen a rub yet this year. All the trees yep. that were rubbed last year have no fresh rubs on them this year. But then again, the cameras are showing the same thing. There's no bucks on them. The well, deer man. movement uh, went last and watched two different times, three different times this past week, and I was seeing very few bucks and very few deer. So that's telling me that the deer are on the acres are staying in the woods are not being as visible. However, again, I'm going to make the statement, I think the ruts are tailing a little bit behind 
but I do think this rain's going to kick them in gear and make them more active. Would you all agree? Uh, I would agree 100%. And then the uh, the cooler weather we've got coming in next week uh, should really help. They're looking at, you know, by the end of next week here in our part of the world, they're thinking maybe down around 32 for lows in the morning. So, you know, that's going to be a little more conducive as well. Yeah, I do agree with you, Redbone, Wayne. Uh, weather can affect the gear's uh, movement, and it can affect the rut. I believe that. Depending how far they are into the rut, mm-hmm. it affects their movement. That's what I said, movement, the way they want to move from point A to point B. It's very hot. They don't want to move as much. But if the weather's cool, they're going to move to keep their body heat warm, but also it makes them feel better when it's cooler. You know, Alex, I get, uh, you know, you, you know the drive I make to work, and I'm making it at, you know, between 4 and 4.30 in the morning. And, uh, you know, we've had a few cold mornings when temperatures have been down the upper 30s, low 40s, and I will see half a dozen or a dozen deer alongside the road on my you know, I just make it a seven-mile drive. Uh, but here lately, the lows have been in the 50s and 60s. I haven't seen any deer by the road. And and the other last Friday night, I drove Highway 67 from Festus, Missouri, all the way down to Poplar Bluff, and then 142 from Poplar Bluff all the way to Thayer uh, after the football game, and I saw one deer, and it was within a mile of my house. So I'm surprised you're even able to see deer because over by Alex and me, it's been so foggy you can't see 40 yards off the road. Yeah, well, we were talking, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about last Friday. Uh, we were after a football game, so it was between 10 and 1. It's about a three-hour mm-hmm. drive. One deer is all I saw the entire trip. Between 10 and, and midnight, 1 in the morning, and that tells me those deer, you know they're out there. They're in the woods. They're not getting yeah. alongside the roads. I'm going to call it the October law, as most white-tail enthusiasts will say and make that statement also. They're in the October lull right now, I believe. But any time, it should bust loose, and you'll see more sign and see more movement. And again, the weather affects that. But uh, as I said earlier, we've got a great show lined up. We've got Missouri biologist for the MDC, Aaron Hildreth, is going to be on the show with us talking about whitetail, talking about whitetail numbers, the best counties to hunt here in Missouri. And we're going to learn a little bit about Aaron about his family roots and uh, what brought him here to Missouri. It's going to be a great show for everybody. Yeah, and I hope we get an opportunity, Alex. You know, we, we, we've touched on it a couple of times just briefly from news releases, but it would be good to hear from him about the uh, the test they did last year on the uh, chronic wasting disease, you know, what the results were and how they think, if at all, that disease has progressed into this season in Missouri. Yes, that, that'll be a great topic to touch on. I know he's excited about being on the show with us. Mm-hmm. And the information that he brings to all of our listeners across the country, they can attribute some of this information to some of their states and maybe learn some of the things that we're going to talk about and some of the practices that MDC has implemented and some of their programs in helping private landowners. And, and Wayne, let's touch on that real quick. You're part of the EQUIP program with the MDC. and How much has it helped your property? Oh, it's helped tremendously. Matter of fact, they were just out last, uh, what was it, uh, Thursday, and they came out, and uh, there's another program I'm uh, going to be getting into for pollination, and uh, we're going to be planting, uh, I think it's four acres total, just shy of four acres of uh, pollinator plants. So all kinds of flowers, sunflowers, wildflowers, uh, all native to uh, Missouri here, but it's going to look beautiful going down our uh, one-mile drive right there on the border, and uh, I can't wait to get it in. But, yeah, we started, you guys started this year. I got all the applications in, got all the paperwork done, got my uh, lot number assigned to me. So it's just a matter now of, uh, you know, getting the ground uh, prepped for next uh, spring to get the stuff put in. 
But uh, just the fact of getting those uh, forest openings done, we have a burn coming up in, I believe, February that I'm scheduled for. They've got tons of programs. So, I mean, I'm telling everybody all the time, take advantage of it. These guys are so knowledgeable. If you're looking to improve your property for deer, turkey, whatever, uh, they can steer you in the right direction, and they'll sit down with you and put together a plan. And it is free. Exactly. Wow. And it's free. And other states across the country listening to our show, you can look into your wildlife, game, and fish, or your your uh, your program within your state. And a lot of other states have these same type of programs that they offer to help landowners with. So why not better your property and make it a better hunting piece of property? Right. And we're always talking about, you know, if you want to learn about hunting, you know, talk to someone who's been in it a long time. You know, l- learn from a an elder person about, you know, how they hunt and, and stuff like that. It's the same thing for property management. I know nothing about doing this kind of stuff, so I went to the experts. And if they're you know willing to come and meet me anytime, they're willing to come out day, evenings, whatever I'm available. Take advantage of that knowledge. If you don't know how to do it, they do. They'll come out and they'll be more than happy to sit down with you with topographical maps and aerial views and and take you right through what needs to be done. Exactly, Redbone. You have some friends that also use this program in some of the areas uh, around Mammoth Springs, there. Uh, you heard a lot of positive comments from them also. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, and, and the thing is that, that anybody that, that uses these programs, they see success. They see improvement. I mean, it's, it's proven formulas. You know, they're not just coming out there and throwing seeds in the wind, so to speak, and, and hoping that it works. These are proven uh, programs that are going to work to make your property better. Yeah, and they do everything from PSI, tree standing improvements, as Wayne said, controlled burns. Uh, habitat improvement. They help you build ponds, uh, reflecting back to the TSI again. They'll go in and mark your timber and take out the timber that needs taken out and mark it. We, we help your timber, uh, will help it grow much better and you'll have a better stand of timber as the years are to come. So you got to take your hat off to MDC and also other states are doing this same program to help people have better wildlife habitat. All right, Alex, time for us to go to our first break of the day. Folks, you're listening to American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge and his friends. We'll be back in just a bit. Hi, I'm Preston Pittman, and you're listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and his friends. Wishing on some love. I've been on a big board for a while. I can load him in the back of my truck. We can take it to a holler. Hornady presents... Welcome back to America Roots Outdoors, everybody. Alex Shrutley's your host, along with Redbone Mike Crace in the studio, Wayne Locke in the studio, and I am on the phone, and as promised, our special guest, Mr. Aaron Hildreth. He is the MDC Servant Specialist. This guy is obsessed with antlers and obsessed with deer, and I want to welcome you to the show, Aaron. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me here, Alex. Yes, sir. Where are you at today? I'm in Indiana. So, I, I am in Missouri. I'm actually in Jeff City today. Okay, in Jeff City. What's the weather doing in Jeff City? Uh, it, it's been a, a dreary, overcast, misty kind of day, but good. All, all things considered, pretty nice weather. That is awesome. Let's, let's go ahead and get the show kicked off here, gentlemen. Uh, the first question, uh, we've had you on the show before, but I want everybody to know, who is Aaron Hildreth? Explain everybody who you are. What's- yeah, so I am deer and elk biologist here with Missouri Department of Conservation, and so I do a lot of things 
with the elk, and then I also split time and do some of the deer stuff for the state. That is beautiful, and we appreciate what you do for our beautiful state. We have a lot of listeners in 19 different countries right now, Aaron, and people will really do like to hear and learn uh, great content when it comes to land management, whitetails, elk, etc. My next question for you, where was Aaron Hildreth born? So I was... <laughs> I was born in Memphis, Tennessee, so I'm, I'm, I I claim Memphis, well, born in Memphis, I claim Nebraska as home, Uh, that's where a good bit of my family's from, and so I'm I'm a diehard Cornhusker at heart. (laughs) Nebraska Huskers, what do you think of that, Redbone? Well, I think not everybody can be perfect, but that's okay. Yeah, as a lifetime Missouri Tiger fan, I can relate. And uh, boy, if Nebraska could just go back to the Tom Osborne days, you'd be all right. It, indeed. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Now, here's my next question. Uh, growing up and going to school in Nebraska, what school did you attend out there, and what town did you grow up in? So, yeah, I spent most of my time there in Lincoln, so, uh, and, uh, you know, for, I bumped around actually between down south uh, for the first couple of years of high school and then moved to Nebraska, middle of high school, and then uh, for undergrad, I ended up, I went to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and got my undergraduate degree there and then actually bounced around and ended up in Kentucky for my master's degree. Yeah, that is, that is a big circle. You went from Memphis, Tennessee to Lincoln, Nebraska, stayed in Lincoln, then went to Kentucky, and now you're in Jefferson City, Missouri. I, I did a little hopping in between there as well. Oh, <laughs> yeah, normally you hear those stories from people that are in the Army or something. You know, Army brats that get travel all over and base to base, but it sounds like you got something similar going on. Yeah, I should say after after. My master's degree, I ended up in Idaho for a short while, then in Georgia, and then finally <laughs> settled here in Missouri. So, Well, we're glad to have you here. You know, you're an avid hunter yourself, and I know you love to rifle hunt. You like to bow hunt. Uh, this this show is dedicated to the rifle hunters. We got uh, Missouri rifle season coming up here in about three weeks or so, and I wanted to prepare all of our listeners that's listening across the Midwest, Missouri, and the other states. Their seasons will be coming up also. And I want to educate uh, our listeners on rifle hunting. Uh, real quick before we go to a break here, we got several minutes left. What is your favorite round for whitetail that you like to shoot? What caliber? So, oh man, are you, are you trying to get me enemies within the first <laughs> couple minutes of the show here? This, that's, a, that's about as loaded of a question as you can ask. <laughs> Um, I, honestly, it'll, it'll have to be the 30 out six. And my, my main reasoning is because it, short of it seems this year, no matter where you go in a pinch, you can find, you can find around. So it's, it's versatile and it, you know, in addition to just with whitetail, I, I really can use it for everything from, you know, pronghorn on a little bit lighter of a round all the way up to to moose or if I you know spent time in Africa I could probably use it for some game there as well with the right bullets so it's just a really versatile gun but because I can find ammunition anywhere it'd have to be that and it's also what I own <laughs> so what caliber do you hunt with Redbone? Uh, you know what I've gone back to my old Winchester 3030 and I absolutely love it 
Yeah, and, and why? what is your favorite whitetail round and caliber? 50 caliber. But that's a muzzle loader. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do rifle. I'm from Ohio. We weren't allowed to have rifles in Ohio. So I have yet to get a rifle here in Missouri, but I'll be I'll be looking for them. But I'm probably going to lean towards a 30 out 6 too because it is so versatile. And like he was saying, that you could, they, no matter where you go in the U.S., that round is, is found everywhere. Thirty out six is probably one of the most popular rounds, and I want to touch on something. You said you grew up in Nebraska. You do know that Hornady corporate office is in Grand Island, Nebraska, right, Aaron? I absolutely do. And you talk about a company that gives back to the outdoor industry. They contribute millions of dollars to different organizations, uh, Shooting Sports Foundation, NRA, and different organizations. Just what a great company. Uh, you know, when you think of Nebraska, you got you can't help but think of, of Hornets. So here we have it, everybody. Uh, Mr. Aaron Hildreth, uh, here in Elk Bowers in the state of Missouri, he's on the show with us here. And uh, we're going to go to a break here. And when we come back, we're going to ask him some more questions about Whitetail. You're going to love this show. Everybody, don't go away. We'll be back with more American Roots Outdoors. This This is Brenda Valentine, and you're listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors again. Our special guest, Mr. Aaron Hildreth, with the Missouri Department of Conservation. This man is a biologist, and he loves deer and elk. And we've been asked some great questions, and this guy is very educated, and he does a lot for uh, our beautiful state. And everybody's listening across the, the world, uh, you can learn some things here from this show to maybe pass on to your state or your properties or whatever. Uh, we're doing the third segment here, and that being said, uh, let's talk about your roots, Aaron. Let's talk about your very first deer hunt you ever went on, and and, and feel free to elaborate and really get in depth with this story. Yeah, so um, I actually I didn't grow up hunting. It wasn't until I moved to Nebraska, uh, middle of high school, that I, I got into hunting. I didn't really have the opportunities down in Tennessee um, with where we were, and then we moved to Nebraska. I was able to take advantage of some family property there. And so my, my first deer hunt was... It was actually during rifle season, um, so it would have been November in Nebraska, and it was when, you know, winters actually got cold, it seemed like, um, <laughs> and it was a day that was in the single digits. There was snow on the ground, and there was a, a pretty stout wind. I had my cousin and my uncle were nice enough to let me tag along with them, and you know, about partway through the morning, we kind of split up and either went and sat or went and, you know, kind of still hunted our way through. And I'm kind of, you know, moseying along, still trying to figure things out. Probably still am today, in all fairness. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, walking along. It had been a few hours, and I was kind of getting bored, and all of a sudden I saw saw an owl fly. It was a, it was a barred owl. And that kind of piqued my interest, and so I kind of wandered over to where it had been. And in the process of wandering over, there was a, you know, a, a deer standing there and that, thankfully that deer provided me an opportunity to take a shot on it it was a, a button buck and my first deer i was tickled to death and happy as could be and made great meat 
Yes, it does. And what a great story. So, Wayne uh, Redbone, if you think about it, he said that he went with his cousin on some property there in Nebraska. There's just something about hunting with family and friends. You all agree. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, you know, when I started hunting, and I was, you know, 22, 23 years old before I started because I grew up in St. Louis and didn't have the opportunities. So I can kind of relate to what Aaron was talking about. And it was just a thrill to get to go out with those guys who had spent, you know, lifetimes hunting and talking about deer and, and all those things. And, yeah, well, when you get that first one, it is special. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more because I know listening to my like my grandfather talk about it, my grandmother talk about it as a kid, you know, you can't wait. The anticipation's there, and then when you finally get to go out, even if you don't get one, you're just spending the memories that are made, spending time with your family, and that just can't be replaced. Yeah, you know, there's something about the memories that you make. There's something about a campfire, uh, the meals that you cook uh, at deer camp, the stories that's being told, and uh, I think we need to get back to more of that. Would you all agree? Uh, that is what inspired uh, everybody to want to do it. I remember as a kid growing up with my brothers and my father, uh, I remember some, and I've shared this story many times, my dad would get up 3 o'clock in the morning, 3 or whatever, and we'd have deer meat from bow season or, or whatever, and he would be tenderizing meat with an old meat hammer and uh, frying it up for us, and he would take and make us all sandwiches rock their meat sandwiches and wrap it in tinfoil, put it in an old uh, bread sack. And at noon, we'd all meet up and eat lunch and share stories of what we saw and what we did, etc. That's what hunting's really about. Would you agree, Aaron? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there are, there are a lot of people out there, especially if they, they haven't ever hunted before or haven't, don't know anyone that is into hunting. You know, there's the misconception that hunting really is all about the kill and Honestly, that couldn't be further from the truth. The kill is what separates hunting from wildlife watching, but it's the it's the tradition and it's the other experiences combined with the actual hunt itself that really encompass what hunting is. Uh, the, the kill, while a very important part, is a very small part of what hunting really is. No, I couldn't right. agree. I would agree. Would you all agree, Redbone? Oh, right. definitely. Oh, absolutely agree. And, you know, Alex, you... You know, you, you talk about that, and people go, oh, that can't be the truth if they don't do it themselves. And it absolutely is. I've had years when I've come in from the woods, and Nina would say, you didn't kill anything today? I said, no, but I had a chipmunk get up on my boot because I like to hunt on the ground. I sit up against an old tree somewhere, and I said, no, but I stood still enough or I sat still enough that a, a, a chipmunk jumped up on the toe of my boot and stood there and ate an acorn. Or, you know, I had squirrel within three feet of me, or I had one come down the tree and get right above my head and jump off. And those were the things that, that I remembered most about the hunt. It wasn't the fact that oh, there was a deer, but it was too far to shoot, or there was, you know, some does came in. First thing was about those unique things that you only get to do or see if you're in the woods. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Exactly. It is. And sharing the memories and passing it on to our generations to come. And I can't wait to take my nieces and nephews and and share what I love with them so they can carry on this great tradition that we call hunting. Uh, that being said, my next question to you, uh, Aaron, Mr. Hildreth, is what brought you uh, to MDC? Why didn't you work in Nebraska, or, or what made you want to come and work for Missouri Department of Conservation? So it, it would uh, a, a couple of different things. One of them, um, yeah, I mentioned that I did my master's in Kentucky, and it was um, 
focused on the elk that were being reintroduced at that time to Missouri and Arkansas. So uh, the, the elk that were reintroduced into Missouri in 2012 and 2013 were my actual study animals. And so I, I had a connection here um, yep. and a, a vested interest. And it, it's the, the opportunity to come to Missouri and kind of see that process to completion from the start of the restoration to now we're here in 2020. I'm lucky enough to be a part of the first ever hunting season for elk in Missouri. Uh, it was an opportunity that was too hard to pass up. Um, and also, I mean, the, the agency has a, has a great reputation for the work that they're able to do. And a lot of that's thanks in part to Missourians and their incredible passion for conservation and, you know, putting their money where their mouth is, so to speak, when it comes to conservation. Um, this is this is a job where I'm able to thankfully do both research and management. And for me personally, um, that's kind of a rare opportunity in this field. You either get to do one or the other, but here I have the opportunity to do both. That is wonderful. My next question to you before we go to a break here, tell us about Missouri's overall deer population. Yeah, so... If we take, if we look at the state as a whole, uh, the population's doing great. And this, I'll, I'll give a, a wide range here, but we, we likely have somewhere in the range of 1.2 to 1.4 million deer in the state. Um, when we look across the state, in most areas of the state, the population is steady to increasing. You know, the southern half, or probably even more so, the southern third of the state has it's it's had a very slowly growing population but a growing population nonetheless here for the past couple decades we look when we look at the northern third of the state especially if we think back to 2012 that was a really bad drought year and we had really bad cases of hemorrhagic disease and that kind of knocked those populations down um, in the north central and northeastern part of the state those populations have rebounded in the northwest Populations are, are still lower than they were at the time of that hemorrhagic disease, and part of that is because of those losses. Part of it is also just a change in habitat in those areas. Um, like, with, for example, the, the loss of CRP, or Conservation Reserve Program, acres from parts of the extreme northwest. Well, there you have it, folks. That's a great number that we have all across the state. And we can attribute this to the farmers landowners, and MDC all working together. What a great subject matter. We're having here a great conversation with Aaron, the survey biologist for the state of Missouri, the Missouri Department of Conservation. We're going to go to a break, and we come back. we got some more great questions to Aaron about our beautiful Missouri and white honey. Don't go away. Be back with more American Roots Outdoors right after this. Hi, everybody. This is Aaron Tippin, and you're listening to my old buddy, Alex Rutledge, with American Roots Outdoors. Pass it on down, plant it deep in the ground around your heart, so you never got to worry. Hornady presents. Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge. you got Alex on the phone, Mike in the studio with me. And Aaron is on the phone with uh, all of us. Uh, Aaron, you know, one of the things you talked about in the last segment, right when we left off, was the, one of the things that brought you to Missouri was this, the uh, successful history of uh, Missouri's deer management. And I couldn't agree with you more because in Ohio, that's actually one of the things that we heard about all the way up there was the success of the numbers of deer in Missouri. Ohio's known for the great big bucks and that, but not for numbers. But Missouri's always been known for the numbers, uh, at least for the last 20 years that I can recall. 
you know, you, everybody always talks about, boy, if you want to go get a deer, go to Missouri. They got tons of them down there. And um, uh, so I, I agree. I, if I had a choice of place to go, I probably would have picked Missouri, too. Yeah, we've got, you know, great deer numbers and, and great opportunities. You know, obviously, even though we're a state that is very heavily uh, privately owned, there are lots of public land acres, especially um, down in the, the Ozarks where you are, Alex. Um, you know, great public land that are open to deer hunting with, with good numbers on them. Yeah, we have over 2 million acres, I believe, of Mark Twain National Forest in southern Missouri. And if you're a yeah, diehard hunter, there's, yeah, if you're a diehard I, I hunter, I want to say Shannon County is almost 70% Correct. public land. That sounds right. It is. Yeah, same way. You know, I want to touch on. I want to touch on something, if I may, real quick. I remember as a kid growing up, and I knew we had all this Mark Twain National Forest. We would see somebody come in from out of state, and we would just cringe when we'd see them come into our state trying to kill our deer, turkeys. And I've come to realize as I grew up, understanding conservation, understanding what's going on, uh, I can understand why people would want to cringe. They don't want to kill one of their deer. Uh, the state has that they may miss out on. Here's the positive of people coming into our state. The positive is when people come in out of state, they, they pay more for a tag, but they also spend money at our local restaurants, our gas stations, and this money helps our school systems and helps our counties. Absolutely. Um, you know, when we look at the economic impact of the deer hunting industry, that exist within the state of Missouri, deer hunting has a rough value to the state of $1 billion, and that was with a B, dollars annually. It wow. is a huge industry that supports a large number of jobs, and, and for a lot of small communities, especially where there's lots of public land available, though, you know, the deer hunting season is what allows a lot of those businesses to stay open, is that big rush of you know clientele and the money that moves through there because of people coming in to hunt. You know, one of the, the things, too, is really cool about the Ozarks in southern Missouri. I don't know what they're doing in the northern part of Missouri or, or north Arkansas. I'm sure northern Arkansas, they actually let our kids out to have a vacation during deer season so they can all deer hunt. That's what I really like about the Ozarks. It, it is, you know, hunting is truly a, a tradition that is, you know, well-recognized and, and respected in, in a lot of the state. Yes, yeah, certainly that, that is a great example in the Ozarks there of, of a kind of a testament to how important hunting in that culture is to the residents of that area. Yeah, I think there ought to be a big push by MDC to make a, a rifle hunting season a state holiday. <laughs> it's funny you say that because in, in Pennsylvania, opening day of deer season is a holiday. All schools are closed. Really? In the state of Pennsylvania, yes. Wow. All schools are closed in the state of Pennsylvania on opening day. Well, they might as well be in Missouri, especially in the rural areas, because all the schools let the kids go deer hunting and they don't count them absent. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you know, with uh, and, and Aaron, you touched on the elk and the fact that you followed the elk from Kentucky to Missouri. And it's got to be very gratifying for you, the success of the elk herd, and if I understand right, this past weekend was the first weekend of the elk hunting. Is that correct? That is correct. So, yeah, this uh, October 17th was the first uh, weekend. It started a, a nine-day archery portion, mm -hmm. and there'll be a, a nine-day firearm portion in December. But, yeah, five lucky hunters got the opportunity to go into the woods on starting Saturday morning and pursue elk for the first time in Missouri. So it was Pretty cool, pretty cool experience, and it, I'm, I am very humbled to be 
able to be a part of it, um, but that's only possible because of the work of truly a, a large army of people yeah. before me. Yeah, and a great testament to the success of the Elk program. And and uh, from what I read, I think uh, none of the bow hunters were successful over the weekend, were they? No one has tagged yet. Um, mm-hmm. There there have been some some good close encounters and some good stories to be told. So that's very um, cool. Well, I think spe- the hunters the hunters are enjoying themselves and enjoying that opportunity to to get out and hear a bu- hear a bull. <laughs> bugle and sound like it's in your back pocket so right. they're, they're having a lot of fun we're going to go to a break here and we missed out on some questions here we're going to add it to the bonus segment we're going to wrap the show up turn it back to you wayne yeah to listen to the bonus segment just go to uh apple podcast if you're an apple user or go to Podchaser if you're an android user uh we do have a winner that we just drew for our podcast uh who left a five-star review it's christy holmes out of maine she got herself one of our new podcast mugs so that'll be shipped off to her so congratulations christy again go to our podcast subscribe leave us a five-star review for your chance to win real quick the subject we're going to talk about in the bonus segment everybody is the tiny of the rut here in the midwest in the ozarks new rules and regulations for missouri mdc and we're going to discuss the leading counties in Missouri for the most harvest for whitetail. Thanks for listening. And remember, folks, when your roots run deep and strong, there's no reason to fear the wind. So you never got to worry what the wind might do. American Roots. Thank you for joining us for today's American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge. You can find us on Facebook. Look us up on the World Wide Web at AmericanRootsOutdoors.com. We'll be back again next week on this great radio station. Hornady presents. Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors podcast. If you are listening to this, that means you're on the podcast, and uh, we welcome you to the podcast. Be sure to leave us a five-star review for your chance to get into our drawings that we do on a weekly basis. Uh, con- again, congratulations to Christy Holmes out of Maine, who won our brand-new uh, thermos mugs that we have here uh, with the uh, Apple, or excuse me, with the American Roots podcast logo That's and everything really cool. on it. How come I don't have one of them? I, you know what? Maybe I might have been giving her yours. I don't know. It's it's unused, so Christy, you're still safe. So uh, that's all right. <laughs> no, I do have one for you guys though too. So, uh, but uh, again, if you're an Apple user, go to Apple Podcast, and if you are an Android user, go to Podchaser. That's two easiest ways to leave us reviews. Uh, Aaron, let's kind of pick up pick up where we left off, and that we were talking about deer numbers and and things like that. So, how are the Missouri deer numbers looking, and and how are the kill numbers looking so far for this year? Yeah. So. Deer numbers are looking looking really good. Um, we've had we've had a few scattered reports of hemorrhagic disease and kind of the central part of the state, but nothing nothing anywhere near what we had back in 2012. Um, it, they don't seem to be terribly large reports at all. And now that we've had kind of the first frost in most of our northern counties, the midges that are responsible for that aren't likely to continue to infect other deer. So we should be good there. Um, again, deer numbers across the state, by and large, look pretty darn good. We look at harvest numbers to date. So we're sitting just shy of 23,000 deer that have been taken um, by archers so far this year. I think that's probably about 18% up from last year. Wow. So part of that, you know, there's probably two factors that are really playing into that. One of them is we had some pretty phenomenal weekends mm-hmm. there in September and we've had we've had a pretty good one or two here in October already as well and so 
that's encouraged people to get out and get in the woods. And the other is probably um, the coronavirus. So right. you now that's got people that are they're, they're wanting to get outside. They're wanting to do something. They've been cooped up and, and people are also more interested in the hunting side of it just for uh, the stability that having that good source of protein can provide. So those few things are probably also helping to drive those harvest numbers up just a little bit. You know, Aaron, I would also say that, that number three in that number, and, and, and you may have different opinion, Wayne, you may too, but I think the, uh, the introduction and the, uh, and the growing popularity of crossbows probably has a lot to do with that too. It, it certainly hasn't hurt anything. So yeah, back in, I think it would have been 2016, mm-hmm. crossbows became a, a legal archery method for anyone who wished to use them. And each year we've seen a, an increasing trend in the percentage of the archery harvest that has been from crossbows. Well, last year we actually had a record archery harvest of just over 60,000. Um, and a, a pretty sizable chunk of that was from crossbow users. We haven't seen a, a change in composition of the harvest, but we've definitely seen a, a lot more people taking to that uh, implement. And two of the, the biggest bonuses of crossbows really are um, it allows youth to get into archery hunting just a little bit earlier before they're able to pull back those mm-hmm. larger poundages. Uh, it also allows those hunters who are getting older and it's just a little bit harder to keep that bow pulled back. Mm-hmm. It's allowing them to get out and stay in the, or actually not just to get out, but to stay in the woods for, you know, more years because it's an easier tool to use. You know, Mike was saying he agrees with uh, number three that you had listed there. I'm going to lean towards number two, the coronavirus making a big difference, because I can yeah. I can see it now. People are on their Zoom calls with their suit and tie, shirt and everything. But you know, if they went a little lower, they probably have their camel boots and their camel <laughs> pants on. And as soon as that Zoom call ends, they're out of there. <laughs> well, I think it certainly has a, a is a major factor. And, and because of that, the uh, the deer season, the rifle season, may be through the roof this year. And, you know, sounds like the numbers certainly are going to be there of deer to be harvested. So, you know, we, we could be uh, seeing a record year. And, Aaron, we've been talking the last couple of weeks about the amount of deer we're seeing. And it's like everybody on Facebook's posting the same thing, that there's more deer being seen this year than the last few years. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, again, deer numbers are good. Um you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to sneak out a few days. I've, I've seen good numbers in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, some some good friends have also had good luck so far. So I, you know, yeah, again, th- things look to be really good for this year. And I, I think you're absolutely right when it comes to rifle season. I, I do think that there's going to be a lot of interest. You know, we look at, and, and going back to coronavirus, whether it's the food security or just it's people now have more time or a, a good excuse to get out in the woods. Um, we go back to turkey season, and in many states, turkey permit sales were through the roof because uh, more people just had that opportunity to get out and get in the woods. And right. So I, I would suspect that we will see something similar for deer season here in Missouri. Outstanding. Now, is there any new rules and regulations with the upcoming uh, rifle season that you know our listeners should be aware of? Yeah, so... Um, for, for any hunters who have hunted here in Missouri, um, many of you are aware that we do have chronic wasting disease in portions of the state. Um, with that said, our, the number of positives has stayed relatively low. Mm-hmm. But in the past, during opening weekend of our firearm season, we've had mandatory sampling stations in all of our CWD management zone counties. 
We had initially proposed to do the same this year, but due to the coronavirus and, and the, the risk that that may pose, we've actually moved mandatory sampling to voluntary sampling. So all the same stations will exist, but hunters from those counties that harvest deer in those two days are not required to bring them to the station, but those stations are absolutely still there. If they wish to have their deer sampled, we are more than happy and we'll have the staff on hand to sample those deer. I'm glad you said that because so. I didn't realize they were still open. I thought they were closed for... No, I, I, I yeah. read where they're going to be, uh, it, it's not going to be mandatory, but it's going to be an option. And and I think it's important to tell people, Aaron, that it's not because we think the deer have the coronavirus, it's because of the social distancing of the people. A- absolutely. Yeah, it's the, you know, w- when we look at, you know, all of the different, you know, the, the, the potential human risk side of it, mm-hmm. um, we want, if anyone is, is uncomfortable or you know, just flat out can't come because of, you know, health reasons. We we don't want that to be a deterrent for them going out and deer hunting if they are still able to do so and do it in a safe way. But for those who do want to still have their deer sampled, we will be there and we're happy to do it. But yeah, it's to try to, to maintain the social distancing. Anyone that does go to any of those sampling stations, um, it'll look a little bit different from previous years. We'll actually have the hunters stay in the vehicle. Um, we'll be able to talk through them, get the information we need from them, and pull samples on the deer, and then get them on their way in a, in a pretty quick time frame without them even having to get out of the vehicle this year. Cool. Yeah, and, and on that subject of CWD, uh, were y'all surprised with the results of last year's testing, or was it about what you thought it would be? And what are you seeing this year as far as deer that are being found? I mean, wh- where are we in that process? Yeah, so we, we have, from our kind of just, from our, our statewide sampling effort so far this fiscal year, so we'll, we'll do, we'll say from, from June, or from July 1 to present, mm-hmm. we have not picked up any more CWD positive deer from our kind of statewide surveillance efforts. Um, with that said, you know, we, we tend to get the bulk of our samples during the hunting season, so mm-hmm. samples are starting to, to kind of trickle in now. I won't say that we were surprised with what we saw last year. We saw, you know, the positives that we had by and large, I guess with the exception of probably kind of a, a bit of an expansion over in the St. Genevieve area and in um, Stone County where we had a little bit of a, you know, mm-hmm. we had two positives move up. Right. Everything that we saw last year was kind of in the same general area that we expected to see. And when we look at, the total number of samples that were collected, we ended up, you know, sampling over 30,000 deer last year. And I, I believe we had somewhere in the mid low to mid forties, as far as the number of positives, I think it was 43. And that's, you know, it sounds like we've pulled a lot of samples, but we haven't, you know, we're seeing so few positives. Why is it, is it still important? And, and it absolutely it's sure. still important to continue that effort because we know when we look at uh, Wisconsin, for example, left unchecked, you know, they started with really low prevalence rates and without constant management and keeping track on it, they now have in some areas and in some very small pockets prevalence rates of more than 50% of their antlered bucks oh, wow. are positive. Again, it's in pretty small geographies, but that's pretty alarming that mm-hmm. a one in one out of every two bucks that's taken from those areas is positive. That's pretty scary. We don't scary. want that to happen here. We want to protect that resource. And so we are still 
very aggressive in our management activities around CWD. We, we want to to keep that at bay as long as possible. And right now our efforts show through time that we are successful in that endeavor to this date. Well, I hope the people, the hunters out there that are listening to this will take advantage of getting to those volunteer stations now that they're hearing just how important it is to get those numbers to, to for you guys to be able to take action. Because if they you don't have the numbers from people volunteering, then next year is going to be kind of a, you know, you'll be up in the wind of where, what to do and where the herd stands. Absolutely. And something else that we're kind of rolling out this year, um, they should be popping up in the, hopefully here within the next few weeks in most places within each of those CWD management zone counties. We actually have uh, freezers set up in at least one location in all of those counties where hunters can, doesn't matter the time of day, go there, they'll fill out a form that we provide, drop their head in the freezer, and you know, again, follow the instructions that are there at that station and go on and we'll you know, pull samples from those deer and then they would, they could find out results just like they could for that mandatory or now for this year voluntary sampling. So we're we're also trying to find additional ways to help people if they want to have their deer sampled. And as always, um, many of our MDC areas across the state also do um, voluntary sampling throughout all of deer season. Well, that's so great. All of that information can be found on our website. That's great. Hey, we only got about less than a minute here. Uh, real quickly, if you can just touch base for people that want to donate a deer to help, you know, the hungry, um, where can they do that at, and who can they? Where can they look it up to find locations? Yeah, so you can look that up on the MDC or um, CFM, so Conservation Federation of Missouri websites. Um, just basically Google "share the harvest," and they have the locations there. Also, in the fall deer and turkey hunting booklet, there is a page dedicated to processors who are participating in Share the Harvest. And you can also go to your elk lodges locally and donate your hides and the uh, the elks, uh, then donate those hides to a company that makes gloves for homeless people. I did not know that. Another great use of that resource. Yeah, it is. They make gloves for homeless people uh, through the Elks, uh, I don't know if it's the Elks National or whatever. So contact your local Elks Club, and uh, they can make that happen. And if you have large racks, you're more than welcome. You can drop them off at my house. Uh, I'm more than willing to take that off your hand. I mean, you got the hide going, the meat going. You might as well drop the racks off to me, too, and I'll make something out of them, too, to help somebody. I think you better end it right there, Wayne. <laughs> Aaron, thanks a lot for joining us today. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, again, everybody, you're listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge. This is the podcast bonus segment. And like we say here at American Roots, when your roots run deep and strong, there's no reason to fear the wind.